Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Coming up on In-Flight Snack, the New York Jets have finalized their 53-man roster, and one former Jets quarterback thinks Aaron Rodgers is going to throw for close to 50 touchdowns. What do I think about that? Also, I've been promising you my NFL head coach's ranking. I give it to you. Where does Robert Sala fall? You'll find out next. Looks up the seat, fires, caught! Touchdown! Garrett Wilson scores! Rodgers does this better than anybody. End zone, Cobb, touchdown! Unbelievable! Rodgers going end zone, Lazard, he's got it for the touchdown! Looking downfield, leaves a bomb for Davis, Sauce Gardner's there, and it's knocked away! Sauce Gardner in position on Gabe Davis, knocks it away, and the Jets are going to take a knee and win it! Let's make sure we play like the New York Jets. Let's go to eat a damn snack. Welcome back to In Flight Snack, a New York Jets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I am your host, Rami Lavi, and we start the episode with some good news. The New York Jets have cut their roster down to 53, as everyone's doing in the NFL today, and they're fully healthy. For the first time since OTAs, I think, the Jets are fully healthy. That means Dwayne Brown participated in practice today. The latest and newest addition, Dalvin Cook, participated in practice. Brees Hall coming off the ACL and even Carl Lawson. Obviously, guys like Alan Lazard, who didn't play in the final preseason game, also coming back. So it got me thinking about expectations for this team because expectations are going to be sky high. But now this is it. This is the group they're working with. And a couple of the cuts they made, a couple of the bigger names to get down to the 53. Bam Knight was one of them. He'll be scooped up undoubtedly somewhere else. It was talented. He showed his talent last year. Obviously, when Brees went out, he had a huge impact on the team along with Michael Carter. He's not going to be on the team anymore. It makes more sense to have Izzy Abanaconda, who's also healthy now after originally being hurt and not playing also in the final preseason game. He's healthy. Brees is healthy. Dalvin Cook is there. Michael Carter wasn't going anywhere. Bam Knight was the odd man out. They don't use him as a trade chip. They release him. Another big release, I guess, if you want to call it that, was Jerome Cap. He was an undrafted D3 wide receiver who was never going to make the team, but definitely made it into the hearts of everyone, including Marshall Mathers, Eminem, when he wrapped the eight-mile rap on Hard Knocks. Everyone loved it. Eminem reposted it. I told you I reached out to Jerome Cap and told him it was awesome, and he responded to me. So, hey, maybe at some point we'll get Jerome on the podcast. If we want to hear the ins and outs of what it was really like, the unfiltered edition of what was going on behind the scene with the Jets, 
he may end up back on the practice squad if guys really like him. I don't think he's the type of player that's going to get picked up by anyone else. So he maybe has a chance to get back on the practice squad. Some fun news, some good heartwarming news. Uh, Brownlee, the wide receiver who was a standout wide receiver all camp and got some incredible praise from Aaron Rodgers, does make the team as a wide receiver. So that's going to be really cool. He was an undrafted free agent as well for this team. And there's there's some really cool stories out there about how he told his mother, don't worry, it's okay. It's okay that I didn't get drafted. I'm still going to make it. I'll be fine. And that's a, that's a great story. He sat there through three days of an NFL draft. No one picked him up. The Jets pick him up in free agency. And I got to say, Joe Douglas, hats off to you because he's hit on a bunch of these undrafted free agents. And this is another one, an undrafted free agent wide receiver who could really be a difference maker potentially on this team if he does end up seeing the field with Aaron Rodgers. Now, there are other roster moves that could potentially be made before we talk about what the Jets have in this 53. A lot of people speculated about a trade for an offensive lineman, an offensive tackle. I told you I thought Bam Knight could have been a trade piece there. That's not happening anymore. But still, David Bakhtiari obviously gets tagged. I mentioned it with Will Parkinson on the podcast. David Bakhtiari gets tagged on the ass by Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) Basically, come save my ass. I don't know what the tag was. Something cryptic. This is nothing new for Aaron Rodgers. On Instagram, posting messages. And Bakhtiari... Then everyone talked about, will he get traded? He's obviously the offensive lineman who played for years in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. And Guten Kunst, the GM, the general manager for the Packers, came out and said, we're not trading him. You know, the thing about that is, whenever someone has to say, we're not trading blank, that's when a guy gets traded. Now, Mark Murphy earlier in the summer was on a podcast and he was talking about the last, or maybe it was a radio show, I don't remember. It looked like a podcast from the video but he's he's rooting actively rooting against Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. He said, I want him to play exactly 66% of the snaps to reach that threshold of where we get a pick or whatever. Don't have to give a different pick back to the Jets. But I want them to fail. I want them to win four games. So I don't think Mark Murphy, who is the, I guess, the president, because there's no owner in Green Bay. I have a friend who's a part owner of the Green Bay Packers. I think every, like, all the fans have a small stake in the team, which is weird. But... Mark Murphy, who is essentially the owner, he runs the show, doesn't want the Jets to do well, has it out for the Jets. So to think that Gutenkunz is then going to turn around and trade Bakhtiari to the Jets, I don't think that's going to happen. But you know what happens right after you say, we're not trading blank, that guy gets traded. Case in point, John Lynch on Friday said, we're not trading Trey Lance, we plan on working with him. Fast forward to Saturday, and Trey Lance was traded to the Dallas Cowboys. And just to get into that for a second, the Niners completely foobarred that situation, right? They were so quick and so eager to move off of Jimmy Garoppolo. They, we needed to get away from him so badly. And this isn't like they were trading for Matthew Stafford from the Lions, kind of like with Jared Goff. Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl didn't perform well in the Super Bowl. We're trading him for a one-shot opportunity with a guy who's been a really good quarterback his whole career. No, we're moving off of Jimmy G for a guy who barely played any college. At what level? Trey Lance, nobody knows who he is because we saw a good workout day, a good pro day. That's who we're trading. We're trading all of this 
and we're getting rid of were so quick. They alienated Jimmy Garoppolo. And they're like, oh my God, we need you back actually because Lance isn't ready. And then when Garoppolo got hurt, they go to Brock Purdy. They got lucky with Brock Purdy. He's Mr. Irrelevant. If Brock Purdy doesn't break out the way he did, do you know how we're talking right now about the 49ers and about the mistakes they made? Because they're incomprehensible to move up in the draft to take a guy like Trey Lance and then have to move off of him a year and a half later. Who would have thought that Zach Wilson in New York would outlast Trey Lance in San Francisco? But that's the case. And by the way, if there's a return, a regression to the norm, to the means of what Brock Purdy should be, there's another former Jet quarterback waiting there. Sam Darnold. I think this could be a big year for Sam Darnold. Now, I hope Brock Purdy plays well. He's my second quarterback in my two QB league in fantasy. And we'll we'll do a whole fantasy thing next week. Or maybe a little bit later this week as I know we are getting closer to drafts. So that'll be a second episode this week. We'll do some fantasy and we'll obviously recap tonight's Hard Knocks episode because there'll be a new episode out tonight. We obviously got the preview. This is what they do on Monday. They drop a preview. This time it was Randall Cobb committing a penalty in the game against the Giants. And uh, <laughs> I do think I agree with Cobb that it wouldn't have been a penalty a couple of years ago. But Rogers laughing in the huddle. What do you think? This is 2014. Um, so that was kind of funny. But Cobb's out there. He's playing. He looks good. So I can't blame him, by the way. Sneaky, under the radar. I hope no one in my fantasy league listens to this podcast. And they're bad friends, so I don't think they are. I'm going to pick up Tyler Conklin, and he's going to be a really good tight end for me because Rodgers is going to target him a lot. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I don't know. I currently don't have a tight end on my roster. But nobody cares about my fantasy team. It's my favorite thing to say. Whenever I do this podcast, I'm always like, no one cares about your fantasy team right after talking a lot about my fantasy team. So there I was doing it again. Uh Back to Brock Purdy and Trey Lance. Yeah, so that's a perfect case of the general manager saying, we're definitely not trading this guy. And then literally less than 24 hours later, the guy gets traded. And from the other side of this, once we're on the topic, how disrespectful has Jerry Jones been to Dak Prescott? Is there any other owner or general manager or coach or anything in any league that you have your fa- franchise player, the face of your franchise, in this case, the franchise quarterback, the most important player to your franchise. Is there anyone who's so disrespectful to that guy, any team in any sport, the way Jerry Jones is disrespectful to Dak Prescott? Remember last year, Cooper Rush played well for a few games against some weaker opponents. And he's like, well, I hope Cooper Rush plays so well that we have a quarterback controversy when Dak gets back. Why are you walking yourself into quarterback controversy? You have the guy. You picked him in the fourth round. You got lucky. Romo gets hurt. You bring him in. All of a sudden, here's the guy. And you're so quick to give up on that? It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, the fact that we're talking about this trade like it's a big deal in the first place is pretty crazy. If he gets traded to Buffalo, which was rumored to be trading for him potentially, are we talking about this trade at all? We're not talking about it at all. He'd be the backup or maybe even the third-string quarterback to a functional franchise with a franchise quarterback and Josh Allen, and that would be the end of the conversation. They're like, hey, hopefully we can revive his career, have him learn under Josh, maybe have some run packages when we don't want Josh to get hurt. We don't want him to run as much. Hey, we could use him as the human dummy, I guess, to run into a bunch of big hits. Trey Lance, great. And he could learn from a guy who a lot of people compared him to coming out of the draft. Raw talent, running ability, big body, not great accuracy but developed into an incredible quarterback like Josh Allen did. 
But no, because it's in Dallas and it's the star and it's Jerry Jones and it's Dak Prescott, we have to make a big story out of this. We have to make big news out of this. And all of a sudden, this is all we want to talk about. And it's just not fair to Dak. And it's not fair to Trey Lance either because this shouldn't be a big story. It should be him trying to revive his career and trying to make something out of it. And right now, that's not what's happening with him. Again, this is over and over with the Cowboys and the national media and the way they're covered. And Dak Prescott, when asked about it, says all the right things. He does all the right things. He is the perfect leader. I don't know if you watched the NFL honors last year, but I think he was the Walter Payton man of the year. If you watch his story, what he's gone through in his life and what he gives back to the community, the story with his mother, with his brother, go watch it. I can't even describe it, but the speech he gave, the acceptance speech, tells you what a special guy Dak Prescott is, and he's going to handle this well. He's going to handle this extremely well because that's who he is. But if this was anyone else, this is just a terrible way to treat the guy who is the most important player, the most important athlete to your team, to your organization, to your city. And the Cowboys continue to do that. I don't get it. After that little soliloquy, back to the Jets. (laughs) Uh, That is what this is. This is a New York Jets podcast. I don't know if you've noticed. But back to the Jets. Uh, Robert Sala telling the team, and this was on the YouTube vlog that they do, the, I don't know, what do they call it? One Jets Drive, the Jets in-house puff piece, as opposed to the one that's produced by HBO and NFL Films. Robert Sala telling the team that Corey Davis is going to be cut was done both courteously and professionally, and they showed it, which tells you that they take pride in how it happened. Again, this is such a departure from past Jets teams. This is so different from the past. And everything that they're doing right now just makes you believe, wait, this team is different. This team is doing things the right way, professionally, with class, handling things how you should. And then you hear Boomer, a former Jets quarterback, go on the morning show yesterday and talk about Well, if the over-under for touchdowns this year, passing touchdowns for Aaron Rodgers was 47 and a half, I take the over. And when I heard that, I was shocked. And I saw Boomer this morning. I didn't ask him about it. They keep Boomer very protected from us. Maybe one day we'll get him on the podcast. But they're very, I don't want to say, protect. I don't want to say protective again. I said it already twice now. But they're very selective about who they get who they expose Boomer to at WFAN. They treat him like a superstar, which he is. He's, you know, been there a long time. I guess now that Mike's gone, right? And Craig's gone. Who else is there to protect? Although I don't think they were protecting Craig all that much on his second go around. I think he met a lot of people that he never would have thought he would have any interactions with (laughs) at WFAN. Um, And he has a new co-host, David Jacoby, on FS1. So maybe I'll watch that show because David Jacoby is good. And the old co-host was not as good. So, I don't know. I'm not, not, again, I don't want to knock anyone. But if you know, you know. Anyway, back to this. Boomer said that he's going to throw over 47 and a half touchdowns this year. What? That's 48 touchdowns. If he throws 58 touchdowns, he's going to win MVP. And that's Boomer saying that if the line's decent. Not only that, I don't think Aaron Rodgers wants to or needs to throw 50 touchdowns this year. They're going to rely on the run game. They're going to rely on quick passes, quick quick screens. I think there was a stat last year that if the Jets averaged 20 points per game, 
they would have won, I think, 10 or 11 games last year because the defense is so standout. And the defense looks like it might be even better this year. Now, they need to take the ball away more. Don't get Joe Beningo started on that. Dude, we, we can't have this. We got to force turnovers. I agree, Joe. You got to force turnovers. But this defense looks even better this year than it was last year. So if they can improve on the turnovers and force more turnovers, I don't think Rodgers is going to be asked to do that much. It's less Tom Brady in Tampa, even though that defense was great, but he also it was such a huge offense. It's less Peyton Manning when he threw 50-something touchdowns that first year in Denver and set the passing yards record and whatever. It's less that and more Matthew Stafford going to a team that had such a lights-out defense and really Jared Goff just needed to make two more throws and they probably win a Super Bowl, right? If he, that throw is on time, who was it? Brandon Cooks or... I don't remember who the receiver was wide open waiting for that touchdown pass to come down and it never came. It gets knocked away by McCourty in the Super Bowl. We all know the story eventually. Obviously, the Patriots win, what, 12-9 in that game against the Rams in the Super Bowl. So, if Matt, if Jared Goff completes two more passes, the Matthew Stafford thing never happens. But that's all they needed. They didn't need to put up a ton of points. If the Jets put up 24 points a game this year, they'll probably win 10 or 11 games. So I don't think they're going to need to throw 40 times a game and throw 50 touchdowns. So I don't agree with that. Now, my father always reminds me that it's the ex-athletes who never have their finger finger on the pulse because they're too close to it. They're too in it. Boomer's done this in the past, but that's the thing. Boomer knows how badly this can go. Boomer knows that this can turn sideways at any point. He's been there, done that, and he's admitted that, yeah, for him, it went really bad. But 47 and a half, you know what the actual line is? Because I was curious once he said it. I checked it. What the actual line for over-under touchdown passes for Aaron Rodgers is this year? The number is 28 and a half. That's more realistic. I think the record for touchdown passes in a season by a Jet was 2015. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think, threw 30 or 31. So if Rodgers breaks the Jets' touchdown record, that would be incredible. For him to break it by 20 touchdowns, I don't think that's happening. But someone said something interesting. I think it was Marco Belletti said this last night, filling in for Keith McPherson on the fan. He said, if the 53 men on the Jets roster, we talked about the cut down, they have the 53, they're healthy, they're ready to go. Aaron Rodgers and the other 52. It's not just Aaron Rodgers like I talked about on last episode, like the social clips I put out. This is a roster as a team they built really well. If these 53 were wearing a big green G on the side of their helmet and they were playing for the Packers or this was the Patriots, we'd be looking at this team and saying, this is a Super Bowl contender. This is the team to beat in the NFL. This roster is stacked top to bottom. Look at the running backs room. Look at the wide receivers and we'll do this. We'll grade each position group. That's going to be next week on next week's episode. But look at it top to bottom. Look at all of these players on this team. This team is elite. But we, for some reason, still see the uniform and say, yeah, but something's a little bit off. This team, I don't know. I don't see them as a Super Bowl contender. We're blinded by the uniform. And maybe we should be. It. It's so interesting. When the Cubs won the World Series, when the Red Sox won four World Championships, the Red Sox have been a dominant team in my lifetime. The Patriots have been a dominant team in my lifetime. 
These are three franchises that if you would have talked to someone in 2002, they would have told you those teams are never going to win. Or maybe the Patriots a little bit before that. Bill Simmons read an article when Tom Brady left New England. He read an article about what Tom Brady did for the Patriots. It was an article going into the tuck rule game about how it's going to be another disappointing end to season where they have hope. And he listed all the times the Patriots had hope and blew it. It sounded like a Jets fan. And hearing that 20 years later is like, oh my God, that's insane because this team, all we know the last 20 years is winning. The Red Sox, all we know the last 20 years is winning. But after 2003 and Aaron Boone hits that home run off of them, you think they're never going to win again. After Steve Bartman in Chicago, they thought the Cubs are never going to win. They're just destined to lose. And then it happened. They win the World Series in 16. The Red Sox have won in 04, 07. 2013 and 2018. Yeah, I know it off the top of my head as a Yankee fan. It's tough. The Patriots, countless Super Bowls also. The only times they lost was when they played the NFC East, right? Nick Foles stole one from you, and Eli got you twice. But this was a franchise that people thought was never going to win. So to say that it's about the laundry is crazy, right? Like, this is 53 guys on a roster that are really, really good football players. This is a general manager who built it the right way. This is a head coach that got the right pieces, that has the right mentality, that has the culture like we talked about. Everything is perfect for this team. And it feels like this has to be the year for this team. And yet we still have doubts. And since we're talking about baseball and crossing sports with different comparisons... Why not use a local comparison that's recent too? Last night, Max Scherzer returned to City Field as a member of the Texas Rangers since being traded from the Mets to the Rangers. And they played a tribute video, which was immediately met with a ton of boos, probably more booing the Mets than booing Max Scherzer by the fans last night. And when I watched that Mets team, I'm not a Mets fan. But they brought in Verlander. They brought in Scherzer. Max Scherzer had a career-low ERA, not when he was in Arizona, not when he was in Detroit winning Cy Youngs, not when he was in Washington as one of the best pitchers in the sport for a decade, not even with the Dodgers. The lowest ERA he ever had in his career for over the course of an entire season was in 2022 with the New York Mets. And what happened? Against the Braves when they needed him most? And against the Padres in the only playoff game he ever pitched for the Mets and ever will pitch for the Mets, he crumbled. And so when they traded him away this year, after this just went from bad to worse with the Mets, he got booed because he represents everything that's wrong with the Mets. It doesn't matter who the players are. It doesn't matter who you bring in. When you need him most, they fail. And not only do they fail, it just explodes in a colossal way from the cheating scandal this year to getting hurt to just being bad and shit talking the franchise on the way out leaking articles to Ken Rosenthal and all that and then laughing all the way to the playoffs on the new roster with the Texas Rangers we know how this goes we know how bad this can get and Boomer knows how bad this goes and Boomer knows how bad this can get because he experienced it firsthand how it spiraled for him when he was the older quarterback coming to the Jets, who was successful elsewhere. 
yes, this 53-man roster is as good as any in football. And Aaron Rodgers looks like he still has it. But to think that it's not going to go wrong just because it's irrational to think that the name on the jersey and the helmet makes a huge difference. It's just not in our DNA. It's in our DNA to expect the worst, but hope for the best. All right, we're going to come back in a second with the NFL head coaches ranking. See where my guy Robert Sala falls. You'll find out next. All right, so I broke it down into tiers, and then I also listed them numbers 1 through 32. Uh, all right, let's 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 do this. There's no better way to jump into it. The tiers I have are, and I wrote them down here, I have the best, self-explanatory. I have on their way, guys who are definitely on their way to becoming the best. I have champions, guys who are champions, and that means something, right? They won NFL Super Bowls. They won titles. Young studs are the guys that are coming up. Jury's still out. These are guys who are somewhat unproven. I think we know, meaning, yeah, the jury might be out on them, but I'm pretty sure we know that they're not great. How do you have a job and then new guys? So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight tiers of head coaches. 32 guys into eight tiers. It's intense. So number one, the best. I'll give you my one through four because I have four guys on this list. The number one best head coach in the NFL still, still has this title until someone takes it from him, in my opinion, is Bill Belichick. You can never count them out. He's diabolical. Yes, you could give a lot of the credit to Brady, and I just did give a lot of credit to Brady on the last segment. I hope you listened. But Bill Belichick is one of the best, if not the best, head coach still in the NFL. You know his team is going to be prepared, competitive, and he'll cheat if he needs to, to get where he needs to get. Number two is Andy Reid. Andy Reid is coming on strong. Obviously, the big thing with him was he couldn't get over the hump, couldn't win the Super Bowl. Always made it, but never could win with the Eagles. But then he gets the greatest quarterback of all time, potentially also, if not the greatest, but second greatest. And I think there's a theme here with those two at the top of the list. They had great quarterbacks and have been doing it for a long time. Andy Reid wins two Super Bowls, and now he's getting the respect for the play calling and the design and everything that he does for that team, for that offense, and the way he commands that room. And you saw some of it on quarterback, some of the other behind-the-scenes stuff. Andy Reid is number two on the list and number two in the category of the best. Number three, I have John Harbaugh. Now, I'm a little biased. I got to see John Harbaugh on a daily basis almost last year when I worked with the Ravens and I got to hear every press conference and I worked every press conference of his and we did interviews and I saw the way he handled the media. I saw the way he handled the Lamar Jackson injuries, the Lamar Jackson situation with him potentially being traded. Everything start to finish. That guy handled like a a complete pro, an absolute professional. And his teams are always competitive no matter what also. He hasn't had the greatest quarterbacks. He had injured Lamar Jackson the last few years and went to the playoffs with who? Backup quarterbacks, third-string quarterbacks. And he won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco as the quarterback. So yeah, John Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in the league. I have him at number three. Number four is pretty obvious also, and it's Mike Tomlin. 
Mike Tomlin, Super Bowl champion, obviously with Ben Roethlisberger, but he has a streak. He's never had a losing season. You got to give him something for that longevity. The same thing with him. He doesn't get rattled by the media the way he handles it, answers what he wants to answer, controls the narrative so well, but also has such a good discipline and a good relationship as a player's coach, but also the players love him. They respect him. Something Harbaugh has as well. And Reed and Belichick. I don't know how much they love him, but they definitely respect him and are scared of him. So that is the top four. Belichick, Reed, Tomlin, and Harbaugh. Harbaugh ahead of Tomlin just ever so slightly. The next category is on their way. Two guys who I think are definitely really good head coaches. One of them's won already. One of them hasn't. And that's why you can't really say that he's great yet. But Shanahan is number five on my list. He hasn't won yet. But it doesn't matter who's on his team, who's on his roster. The offense is a genius offense. It works. And you got to give credit. Yes, I think the 49ers are the most talented team in football. But can you really fault them for losing in the NFC Championship game? They almost won the Super Bowl. If Patrick Mahomes doesn't turn into a magician at the end of that game in the Super Bowl, they probably win that Super Bowl. Shanahan probably does have a Super Bowl, but he doesn't. Number six is Mike Vrabel. Hasn't won a damn thing also. That's why he's the same same category. But he comes from the Belichick tree. He's kind of like if Belichick was crossed with Dan Campbell. Like the best of both worlds, the way he handles the media, the way the guys play for him, the toughness, the grit, the attitude he brings to a team. I think he's special. I don't. Th- I think his teams have been actually not that talented, have not had such a good roster, and have outplayed their talent, overplayed their talent the last few years because he's a really good head coach. I have him at number six, and those are the two guys who I have in on their way because they haven't won yet. They're not champions. They're not in the next category, which is the champions. They're not. They can't be in the top category because they're not quite there yet. They haven't won yet. But Shanahan and Vrabel are definitely seemingly on their way. The next category is champions. If you win a championship at some point, you got to be in a higher category. In this category, so the way I have it, and then I changed a little bit, because the way I have it is Sean Payton, obviously Sean McVay, Pete Carroll, Doug Peterson, and Mike McCarthy. But I did take some of the young studs and put them ahead of some of the guys who won championships. And you'll see in a second. So number seven, I have Sean McVay. Of these champions, he's also a guy who could have been in the on your way or in the young studs category. He's young. He's definitely on his way. Last year, definitely was a knock on him, but all the injuries coming off the Super Bowl, maybe just kind of a punt year for them. I don't know how much longer he's going to keep doing this because he talks about walking away. I don't know, but... Definitely the design of the offense and everything he's done to this point in his career. Sean McVay, I have him at number seven on this list. Number eight, and I think the solidification of this was last year. He's a champion, but Pete Carroll, what he did with the team last year was more impressive than winning the Super Bowl and then losing it the following year with Russell Wilson in his prime and obviously Marshawn Lynch in his prime. Pete Carroll turning Geno Smith and that roster that essentially everyone thought they just punted by trading away Russell Wilson and turning that roster into a playoff team and as good as they were all season long, that's one of the most impressive coaching jobs I've seen. And that's why I have Pete Carroll at number eight. And number nine, a guy who won a Super Bowl, is a champion, then got ran out of town, then gets brought in and in one year turns Trevor Lawrence from a mess 
into one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and I think it'll only get better this year. It took him one year. He won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles, and that's Doug Peterson. Wins the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Has gotten the most out of Carson Wentz that anyone's gotten, and then turns Trevor Lawrence, who was great, but obviously year one was a little bit shit show with Urban Meyer. Turns him into a championship caliber quarterback, and I think he'll be an MVP candidate. And oh, by the way, his team was down, what, 35 points in the playoffs? And has the biggest playoff comeback in NFL history. Yeah, that counts for something. Those guys never thought they were out. Those guys thought they were in that game all along. Doug Peterson is number nine. Number 10. And this is a guy who's on my young stud list, but I have him ahead of some of the champions. Number 10 is Brian Dable. Brian Dable hasn't won anything yet, and he's been a head coach for one year in the league. But with the expectations the Giants had last year, with the way Daniel Jones, they didn't even pick up his fifth-year option. He made Daniel Jones a $40 million a year quarterback. That's how good Brian Dable is as a head coach. The scheme, the way he handles the media, he's funny. The way he yells at the guys on the sideline, but he's also friend. The guys love him. They adore him, but they know he holds them accountable. To me... He's going to be in the top three or four in the next few years, and he will win a Super Bowl soon. I don't know if it happens with Daniel Jones and this roster, but Brian Dable, I'm jealous of the Giants. I'm a Jet fan. I'm jealous of Giant fans. I think Brian Dable is one of the best head coaches in the league. Just because of pedigree and resume, I can't put him higher than 10, but I have him at number 10. His mentor was Doug, uh, Doug McDermott. Is that the right name? Sean McDermott? Who was... The obviously the head coach for the Bills, um, and he is number eleven on the on the year on the list. And obviously, yes, it is Sean McDermott. I don't know why I said Doug. Um, is that a basketball player? Anyway, Sean McDermott is number eleven on the list. Again, another guy who hasn't proven it yet, but has been consistently been there. He's one of the young studs, even though he's older. Um, he's on my young studs list and he can, I have him ahead of a couple of the champions on this list. Another guy who's on my young studs list who I have ahead of the champions, two more Matt LaFleur, obviously in green Bay winning what 13, 14 games, his first two years as a head coach last year was a down year. Rogers was hurt. Would you be shocked if Jordan love was all of a sudden really good this year? I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. And He's a really good head coach. His scheme, he got Aaron Rodgers to buy in to an extent, enough to win two MVPs and go back to back to the playoffs. So I have Matt LaFleur at number 12. At number 13, one of my favorite head coaches in the league. If this was my favorite head coaches, he'd be number two right behind Brian Dable. Mike McDaniel, also a young stud, comes from the Shanahan tree. Had a year from hell last year and still kept the team somewhat together. And they didn't completely spiral the way the Jets did. Even with Trace Thompson starting at quarterback for them at some point. Trace Thompson, I think, is Skylar Thompson. I, I'm confusing sports and first names today, huh? Trace Thompson plays baseball and is the brother of Clay Thompson. Fun fact. Skylar Thompson played quarterback not particularly well. Maybe he's better at baseball than he is at quarterback. But he played quarterback last year for the Dolphins, and somehow still their season didn't completely spiral out of control. I love Mike McDaniel. I love the way he handles the media. Now, the next two guys are guys who you have to put here in the middle of the pack because they've won Super Bowls, but I think they're pretty much essentially the same head coach. Without their Hall of Fame quarterback, they haven't done or proven anything. 
And that's Mike McCarthy and Sean Payton. I have Sean Payton at 14 and Mike McCarthy at 15. They're interchangeable to me. I've said that on this podcast. I've said that on other podcasts. Their resumes are identical. For some reason, Sean Payton has this great resume. We'll see what this look or this great reputation, I should say. We'll see what that looks like this year when he has to deal with Russell Wilson as opposed to Drew Brees. Number 16, I have Nick Sirianni. It's a little bit low, but it's one year. So one year, he goes to the Super Bowl with arguably the second the most talented roster in the league and a guy who was playing at an MVP level. He's also in the category still of young studs, though, because he is a young stud. He's really talented from what we can tell, but I don't think we know enough about him just yet. The next category has a bunch of guys, and it's the jury's still out. And it starts with number 17. Top of this category could have been in young studs, but I still think he hasn't won anything, even though we all love him. And that's Dan Campbell. Remember, what were they, one in six last year, the Lions, before they go on their run? You can't just ignore that. And he doesn't ignore that. He admitted on a podcast, he said, we were one in six. We weren't very good to start the season. So he knows they still haven't proven anything. They have a lot to prove still. Dan Campbell's number 17 on this list. I like him, but they still have a lot to prove. Next up is O'Connell, who is the head coach for Minnesota. What do they win? 13, 14 games last year before imploding in the playoffs after that terrible defense. So it's one year. So it's less than Campbell's done, although Campbell hasn't even made the playoffs. But it seems like he's really good. And we'll see what happens. Zach Taylor is number 19. Now, the reason he's this low, a lot of people are probably not going to like this. But without Joe Burrow, he was awful. He seems confused. He's made mistakes. And then all of a sudden, Joe Burrow just elevates things to a new level. So when Joe Burrow was hurt, they weren't very good. So it's hard to judge him as a head coach without looking at, hey, he wasn't really that good without having this incredible talent that is Joe Burrow. Now, a lot of the guys who are at the top of the list had great quarterbacks in their career. But Zach Taylor has shown a couple of times he's not a great head coach. So he's number 19. And number 20, also... I think this jury's still out on him is Robert Sala. So I've met at 20, bottom third, essentially, amongst NFL head coaches. He's not great. Clock management, the team completely nosed dove last year. They went in a tailspin. There's a lot of negative with Robert Sala. What's the positive? I guess we don't know because he had to deal with Zach Wilson and so much other crap last year. And now he's got Aaron Rodgers. Now he got a chance to prove himself. He could move himself up this list, but he could really plummet down this list if things don't go well this year. Number 21 is Kevin Stefanski. I guess he took the Browns to the playoffs, so that's impressive. Last year was awful, but Deshaun Watson coming off of his absence. We'll see how that works out this year. Also kind of similar to Salah where we don't really know. Number 22 is Dennis Allen, um, he's also still in this category of jury still out because we don't know. One year, Saints, I don't know. Were you overly impressed by the Saints last year? No. Were they awful? Not really. Kind of just middle of the pack. Another team like that, Arthur Smith. Um, another guy in the same category. Atlanta doesn't have a ton of talent on their roster. He had to deal with a shit show with Marcus Mariota walking out on them. I don't know how good Desmond Ritter is. So that's going to be interesting to see as far as him. He's number 23 on the list. 
The next category is I think we know. Guys who still have jobs, still are getting opportunities, and maybe the jury's still out on them. Maybe it's a little early, but I think we know they're not that great. And number one is a guy who's won in his career, a guy who went to Super Bowl. He's number 25 on my list, and that's Riverboat Ron Rivera. Still has a job with Washington. I don't want to say he's a bad head coach, but I think we might know that he's a bad head coach. He didn't even know the implications, the playoff implications of a game last year. He was told in a press conference by the media. What? Yeah, that's not great. Number 26 is Josh McDaniels. Same thing. I mean, we know. We know Josh McDaniels. I missed, I skipped number 24. Number 24 was Frank Reich. Let's give him one last opportunity. Let's give him a shot, see what he can do. But that was a disaster. Maybe it was the dysfunctional organization that he had to deal with and the owner that he had to deal with who's trying his hardest to be the new Dan Snyder out in Indianapolis. Maybe. But this is the last chance for Frank Reich is going to get as a head coach. We'll see how it works out for him. Josh McDaniels also. Great offensive coordinator. Not a great head coach. He's number 26. And number 27 and 28 are two guys who I call the category how do you have a job? Number 27 is Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles was there because as the head coach, he's a great defensive coordinator, but he was there as the head coach because Tom Brady got annoyed and wanted change at the head coach spot. So Todd Bowles became the head coach to which I say, okay, Brady's gone. Why do you still have a job? Number 28, Brandon Staley. He's terrible at clock management. He's ruining one of the best quarterbacks, one of the best young quarterbacks in the league and a really talented running back and talented wide receivers. Has a really talented team, talented defense too. And he blew the biggest playoff lead in history, the biggest playoff blown lead in history. Brandon Staley, how do you have a job? Seriously, how does he have a job? And then the bottom four, I guess, is just guys who are new. I rank them. You could look at them in any order, but... Gannon, Shane Steichen, D'Amico Ryans, and Matt Eberflus. The only reason Matt Eberflus is number 32. And D'Amico, a lot of people like. I have him at 31 because just because he can play doesn't mean he's a great head coach. Matt Eberflus, um, with him, he has one year and it was one awful year. The other guys haven't coached a single game in the NFL as head coaches, so that's why I have them ahead of Eberflus. Eberflus, I don't want to judge him based off of one year with a bad roster but he was bad. And that's why I have him at 32. All right. That is it. This is the head coach ranking. We have a new episode of hard knocks tonight, and I will talk about it on Thursday's episode. We will also do, like I talked about, we'll do fantasy on Thursday's episode as well. When we talk about the new hard knocks. So until next time, like subscribe, share it, do all those great things that help this podcast grow, be a part of the community. I can't wait to continue growing this community with you guys. Until next time, I'm feeling snacky. Rex. Let's go to eat a damn snack. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.